Our texts this morning are two, and I'm preaching from the New King James Version today. I think it, it states Isaiah 58 um, a little bit more succinctly than the ESV does. So we're just going to do everything in the, in the New King James today. Our first text is from Exodus in chapter 20, which is, of course, the Ten Commandments. We are today talking about the fourth commandment, which is Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> My voice is going, so pray for me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And then from Isaiah chapter 58, a text that probably most of us are not familiar with, but it is an important text on this issue, a very important text, a key text. Isaiah 58, <clears throat> verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Father, this morning we tackle an issue that is countercultural at best, and perhaps even bitterly resented by some at worst. And we ask this morning that you would simply keep us close to your word, that we would be convinced of the truth of your word, and that we would measure ourselves against your word and our conduct against your word, rather than measuring your word against ourselves and our conduct. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a child... Um, growing up in the little town in southeast Missouri where my grandparents lived and died, things were different. They were different in many ways. Um, you could play outside until 9 p.m. all over the neighborhood, and your parents weren't concerned about who you were with or what might happen to you because you were safe because the town was safe. And I rode my bike everywhere exploring with my friends. There was almost no place that was off limits to me. A, a trip to the Dairy Queen was a big deal and a special treat, even if you were only allowed to have a dipped cone because everything else was expensive, or in the words of my grandmother, high. The price of that is too high. She also turned my two-syllable name into a one-syllable name. I'm, I'm Brian. Anyway. There was less litter because sodas came in glass bottles with a 10-cent deposit on them, and hardly anyone threw them away. And we actually used to scrounge the streets and the vacant lots looking for soda bottles so that we could turn them in and buy candy. And I don't think that we ever found more than one or two at a time. 
the town square was full of thriving businesses that were owned by our friends and our neighbors and our distant family relations. But the thing that I remember the most was the Sundays. Uh, I was born in 1969, I lived there when I was five, six years old. The thing that struck me most was the quiet. Most businesses were closed both on Saturday and Sunday, but the ones that were open on Saturday usually closed by 4 p.m., maybe 6 p.m. at the latest. And when we drove through town on the way to church on Sunday morning, the business district was utterly empty and still. Only the gas station by the interstate was open. We would go to church, and the church was always full. It was full of our friends and our relatives. That was where we encountered them week in and week out. That was what sustained and nourished our family relations. We would go home, and we would have Sunday dinner, and it was always the best, the most carefully prepared meal of the week, served piping hot at 1 p.m., the way God intended. And those of you who live in a world where you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you need to be aware that you, that's a product of the fall, that you are living in, in ignorance. It's breakfast, dinner, and supper. Dinner is the big meal, and it happens around noon. Supper is a small meal, and it happens close to bedtime. So we had Sunday dinner, and then supper was vegetable soup and crackers and cheese and things like that. After church and after the meal in the afternoon, we would often go and visit neighbors or family members just to touch base with them and keep updated uh, with their lives and the lives of their relations who were more distant than us. And uh, I was telling my daughters about that yesterday, about how we didn't call or text first. We just showed up, and they were always happy to see us, right? And, uh, and I loved to go with my grandparents and just sit and listen to the adults talk while my grandmother pet me to keep me quiet, like a lap dog. And then we'd come home and we'd play if the weather was nice. And if it wasn't, we had to endure the Lawrence Welk show before we got to Hee Haw, which was slightly better. And then the wonderful world of Disney came on and always something good in the wonderful world of Disney. Sunday was always the best day of the week in my mind as a child was different. It felt different. It unfolded differently, and it was lived differently. That was Hate Time, Missouri in 1974 or 1975. By 1980, it had all been swept away. Walmart moved into a nearby town, and they were open till 10 or 11 p.m., seven days a week, and any local business that wasn't immediately driven into bankruptcy had to match their hours to compete. And that was it. And Sunday just became another day. What you and I lived through, if you are my age or a little older, or a lot older, was the last gasp of a cultural consensus about the Lord's Day that is rooted and grounded in a specifically Presbyterian and Reformed understanding of the Fourth Commandment. By 1975, it had been unraveling for more than 50 years already, and that's part of why it was so easy to finish off. All it took was a Walmart opening in a nearby town. But what we remember, though incomplete from a biblical point of view, was still very valuable in its own way. And if you have these memories like mine, then you have a living memory of the Lord's Day as special, special, 
as set apart. One of the reasons why I determined that I was going to buy all the groceries I could from Ruley's is because they still close on a Sunday. As a matter of fact, on a Saturday night, I think they're closed by 5 or 6 p.m. so people can get home and prepare for church and prepare their families. I love that. That used to be everybody. You will remember businesses being closed the whole day because it was widely regarded as wrong to work on a Sunday. You will remember Sunday morning worship not as something that was optional, even for professing Christians, but which was expected. It was the normal thing to do. You remember families and friends making use of that freedom from activity, just to spend time together on a regular basis, not just your nuclear family, but your extended family. That was when you might encounter your cousins or your uncles and aunts or even more distant relations. And all of those things are true and right and good, but they're not complete, not from a biblical point of view and not from a confessional point of view. And my points this morning are only two, and they are very basic. Normally when I preach about the Sabbath, I do a two-part sermon series, and somewhere in my files I've actually got a seven-part sermon series studying the issue of the Sabbath in depth. I'm not going to do anything like that right now. I'm going to make two points. My first point is that we should keep the Sabbath, and my second point is how we shall keep the Sabbath. Point number one, that we should keep the Sabbath. And that's not obvious today for most Christians. The argument is very simple. There are ten commandments, not nine. The Christian recognizes that lying and stealing and murder and worshiping false gods is a sin, and it's not something that we should do. If you asked a person who would agree with you that those things are wrong, if you would ask them, how do you know that they're a sin? They're liable to point you to the Ten Commandments, one of the places in Scripture where they can find all of that in a handy-dandy place. As, so they would point and they would say, look, right here it is in the Ten Commandments. We don't lie, we don't murder, we don't steal, we don't worship false gods, we don't commit adultery. This is what we're about. But when you begin to talk with them about a serious attempt to keep the Fourth Commandment, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, you are immediately met with all kinds of resistance and all sorts of cries about legalism. And you can fall into legalism on this issue as you can on almost any issue. I have to ask, on what basis are you singling out the fourth commandment and putting it in a different category from the other nine? What's your argument for doing that? If it's wrong to commit adultery, and it is, then it's wrong to break the Sabbath. If it's wrong to steal, and it is, it's wrong to break the Sabbath. If it's wrong to blaspheme the name of the Lord, and it is, it is wrong to break the Sabbath. The moral law of God is a seamless garment. And I want you to notice that it is the Sabbath day in Scripture. Not the Sabbath morning, not the Sabbath hour or hour and a half. This idea that we come to Lord's Day worship if we feel like it, and there's something not something that we want to do more, but the pastor had better not go long because we want to, quote, get on with our day. After all, I'm spending your time standing up here gassing at you. 
and we've got this attitude of entitlement. This is my time. I'm generously donating an hour or two of my time, pastor, but don't get greedy. Well, let me tell you something. It is not your time. It's not your day. It's the Lord's day, all of it. It's not your time, and it's not my time. Every moment I get from God comes to me as a pure gift. Every breath we breathe is a gracious act of Almighty God. It says in Daniel that your life's breath and all of your ways are in his hands. He did not, you did not make yourself, rather. You do not exist independently of God. God sustains your life moment by moment by a mighty act of his power. Now, you can call, for instance, the money you have my money, but it isn't. It's God's money. And he generally lets you keep about 90% of it to meet your needs, but all of it is his. In a similar fashion, God says, your life is mine. Your soul is mine. I'm letting you have six days to labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to me, and on it you shall do no work. Not you, not your manservant, not your maidservant, not the stranger or the alien within your gates, and here's why. Because in six days I created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. On the seventh day I rested. Therefore, I have blessed and hallowed this day as an eternal memorial to my works of creation. And I declare this day special. I declare this day holy. Well, question number two. How shall we keep the Sabbath holy? Well, there are two basic moves. There is a rest from something and there is a rest unto something. So what shall we rest from? Well, we should rest from uh, our, our sinful acts. Um, we should always try to do that, but on the Sabbath, it's especially important because to do them on the Sabbath adds to the severity and the gravity of the regular sin. So if you're going to do something awful, um, don't do it on a Sunday. The penalty is worse. We should rest from all non-necessary work, and especially paid employment. Now, note well that there are some things that are necessary, and we can do those things that are necessary without any sense of guilt. A nurse or a doctor working in a hospital are preserving human life and well-beings if they are at work on a Sunday. The firemen and the policemen are necessary for public safety and public well-being. They can work on a Sunday. God doesn't mind. Electricity in our modern era is vital for human health and well-being. And there are people who are critically dependent on keeping the electricity flowing. And so people who, for instance, repair power lines or run the generator stations, we should feel no guilt about working on the Sabbath. It's my busiest day of the week, but Jesus was clear that clergy serving in the house of the Lord are held blameless for laboring on the Sabbath. Meals need to be prepared or finished. Dishes might need to be washed. They might not, but they might. 
And that's okay. But it's not a day for mowing the lawn. It's not a day for cleaning the house. It's not a day for changing the oil in your car. When Evelyn was employed caring for horses, uh, this was the only time she was ever allowed to work on a Sunday because the horses have got to eat, right? They don't stop eating one day a week. But I didn't want her cleaning out the chicken coop on the Sabbath. That could wait till Monday. Thirdly, we should not make others work on our behalf on the Lord's Day unless it's absolutely unavoidable. And that's the point about your manservant, your maidservant, the alien and the stranger within your gates. So for instance, in my family, we don't shop on the Lord's Day. We also don't go out to eat at restaurants on the Lord's Day. Every time I've gone out to eat on a Sunday and violated my conscience on this issue, I get a Christian waiter or a Christian waitress who isn't in church because Sunday lunch is one of the biggest days of the week and they have to work. And my conscience couldn't handle that. We should, fourthly, insofar as possible, even rest from all of our thoughts and our words about our worldly vocations. And that was the the force of the text in Isaiah chapter 58, wasn't it? Did you catch that? I mean, it was kind of jarring when you think about it. In Isaiah 58 and verse 13, you shall honor him not doing your own ways, or going your own way is another way that's translated, not finding or seeking your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. That's pretty stiff, isn't it? Now, what does that mean? Well, if you just emptied your mind and sat in total silence staring at a wall for a day, that would not be keeping the Sabbath. And so we need to understand that it's not just a rest from something, it's a rest unto something as well. So it's not a day of inactivity. It is a day of rest. It is a day perhaps of minimal activity. It is definitely a day of different activity. What do we do? Well, first of all, private, family, and especially public worship of God. God has set aside this day, and he's hallowed it by raising his son on this day. Uh, It was buried in the Westminster Confession. We're not going to talk about it. Every time I talk about the Sabbath, there's a group of people called the Seventh-day Adventists. They get all wound up and attack me on the internet. We're not going to worry about them. Adventists, go away. And uh, but, but God has changed the Sabbath from the Jewish Saturday to the Christian Sunday. And he did that by making that the day that the Lord Jesus rose from the grave. Now, it took the church a while to figure this out and to work it out. Um, and there's a lot of little Bible verses that we could go through to talk about this issue. But one of the reasons why I think God did that is you will recall that there are three kinds of law in the Old Testament, the moral, the ceremonial, and the civil. Of all of the moral uh, laws, the the issue of the Sabbath also had the most ceremonial overlap with it. And so I think God, wanting to distinguish now that those things had passed away, moved the day to a Sunday. And while the Jews and even the, the Christian Jews continued to worship God on a Saturday, they also ended up attending church on a Sunday with their their formerly pagan neighbors. The Lord's day is the day that he's hallowed. You will remember John in the book of Revelation. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What was he doing? He was doing private worship. Secondly, the Sabbath is a wonderful day for prayer. 
People say, oh, I don't have time to pray. Well, if you carve out one day in seven, you'll have time. It's a wonderful day for acts of mercy. And so it's a great day to go and visit the widow or the shut-in or the nursing home patient or the person who's in the hospital. It's a great day for that. And they'll appreciate it so much. It's also a day for fellowshipping with other believers in the Lord, provided that your conversation is focused on spiritual things and on mutual edification in the Lord. It's also a great day for hospitality. Uh, I, I, uh, was, when I was pastoring PCA Church, there was, um, at both the churches that I pastored, there were several families who made it their business to have extra food prepared on a Sunday so that if anybody new came to church, they could just say, hey, would you like to come to dinner at my house? And they could have this wonderful fellowship time together. We had just recently a fellow who came to visit this congregation who was a, an electrician, and he was working on the battery plant up in Lordstown. And a uh, Bible-believing Reformed guy from Virginia, and he came to, came to church. And once I figured out, you know, who he was and why he was here, I knew he's lonely. He's spending all day working and all night in a hotel room. There's no good thing that comes from that. Come over to my house. Let's just sit and enjoy the Lord's day talking to each other. So we fed him some dinner, and more than one Sunday, we just entertained him for the whole afternoon, and he really appreciated that. And if you're traveling somewhere and you're stuck for a while, you get pretty tired of hotel rooms and restaurant food. And just to have a brother or a sister in Christ say, come, come to our family, come to our home, especially on the Lord's Day, is a wonderful gift. Fifthly, it's a day for reading the scriptures and for other good Christian books. It's a day to fill your mind with godly things. Sixthly, it's a day for spending time with the Lord in silence and solitude. You know, it's just a wonderful thing to sit on the porch in a rocking chair or to potter around in the garden a little bit and just take in the, the creation that God has given us and to thank Him for it and just to meditate on what it has to teach us. It's a day for acts of necessity. If there's something that comes up and you need to do it on the Sabbath, don't worry about it, just do it. But if you don't need to do it, if it can wait, let it wait. Now, I freely admit that this is a lofty standard. And perhaps in this life, we can only aspire to grow towards this standard. But the question for you and me isn't, is this hard? Or is this attractive and palatable to me? The question is, is this what the scriptures actually teach? I believe that it is. I would encourage you to do your own investigation. There are some wonderful books out there. I will, I will uh, encourage you a book called Call the Sabbath of Delight by Walter Chantry. Wonderful book. Wonderful book. Just pick that up and read it and see what you think. I want to close um, this morning with a, a, a reminisce from a sermon uh, given by a guy named Donald MacDonald, who was a pastor of Greyfriars Free Church in Scotland and in Inverness for many years. He died in 1975. He was born uh, in the Hebrides Islands. And he says the following. I shall cherish the memory of it as long as I shall live, the Sabbath in my native island of Lewis in my boyhood days. The Sabbath day was prepared for on Saturday evening. All the household work was finished earlier than usual. Tomorrow's meals, as far as that was possible, were prepared, and by 10 p.m. the family gathered around and, quote, the book was taken. In a Scottish Highland home, if you are there for a meal, the host will often at some point in the evening say, shall we take the book? However late with their household work some might be on other nights, on Saturday there would not be one light in a hundred to be seen at 12 o'clock midnight. The Sabbath itself began with family worship. Public worship began usually at 12 noon. Hundreds of people made their way to the house of God, and the only way to get there was by walking, yet almost everyone who was able to go attended. Although many lived several miles away, 
Evening worship was at 6 p.m., and again, everyone who could go was there. Particularly impressive was the silence that prevailed throughout the day. Not a stroke of work was done. There was no noise of car or cart. Between church services, no one was seen outside of his own house except those who had to take their cattle to drink. Should anyone be seen going up and down the main road, people would come to their doors and ask one another if they knew who it was, being absolutely certain that he was going for medical aid for some ill person or to deliver an urgent message. Inside the house, had no, book, inside the house no books were read but the Bible and religious books. All other books were put away on Saturday night. Conversation about worldly things was not allowed. Frequently, relatives and friends who had a long distance to walk to the church came to my parents' home between services, and their conversation was always of a religious kind. As a rule, they discussed points made by the preacher in the morning sermon. This was the way the Lord's Day was observed as I remember it. That, of course, was in a country place. Unhappily, it is now impossible to get a similar Sabbath to that which I have described. Wherever we go, Sabbath desecration has has penetrated to the most isolated hamlets and homes. Sunday newspapers, radio, television, and pleasure-loving tourists have left no corner, however remote, untouched. Yet in spite of all this, it is possible for believers to enjoy the blessing of God and his day. And now I shall explain how they can attain it. The Sabbath, properly understood, is a wonderful gift. God gave you this day and said, spend it with me. I love your soul more than anybody ever could. And I want you near to me. Not just now, but forever. Come draw near to me now. And we'll talk about forever. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer.